So I'm looking for where the flow across the shallows there becomes deeper and the water becomes less energetic. And then also where the snags, so these, these trees that are in the water, the cod tend to hide up against those. Ben Scullin casts a surface lure onto the river. He reels it back in slowly, the winged bait hops across, rippling the clear still water. He tells us it's too early in the day for cod. It's approaching dusk and the cockatoos are out, but not the cod, not just yet. Sometimes, sometimes a pause in the retrieve. Generally with cod you just keep winding, you don't stop. But it's still a little bit early. Ben's camp is a few metres from the bank of the Goulburn River and consists of a small pop-up tent with a camping chair and two rods. We're near the town of Seymour in central Victoria, about an hour and a half from Melbourne. Here, the river is called Warring in Tunnarong language. This chunk of land, a tree-lined steep riverbank backing onto flat lush meadow, is used by a nearby farmer for grazing. And as of April this year, you can now also camp here for free. So the benefit for me as a lure fisher for cod is that a lot of it's at night time. So I can now come down with the tent and I'll be able to get up at midnight and then at 2.30 and creep down with the lures and have a sleep before I drive home. Whereas before, technically the definition is I couldn't do that. Ben played a role in having this spot and many others opened up for camping. So I'm Ben Scullin, I'm the Executive Officer of the Victorian Recreational Fishing Peak Body VR Fish and a crazy lure fisher. Champion? No, well, I, yes, but... I don't want to blow my own trumpet too hard. You could already fish, walk and bird watch freely along licensed Crown River frontages like this. Then in 2018, the Victorian government promised they'd open up that public land to camping. But this expansion of public access quickly became contentious because these sites are licensed to farmers for grazing livestock. And farmers are concerned about how this will affect their homes and businesses. And, and that's the thing about fishing is new opportunities, new water and the challenge and seeing if something's, you know, biting. So, and I can tell from the traffic that's been here, so there's little giveaways like there's little forked sticks near the water and that'll tell you that this is a spot where people fish, so there's fish here. I'm Annabelle Cleland and for this episode of Voice of Real Australia I spoke to fishers and farmers about the collision of camping and grazing on rivers in Victoria. In November 2020 the state government amended the Land Act to allow camping on more than 8,000 Crown Land River frontages that are licensed to adjoining landholders. That's 18,000 kilometres of riverbank. It's public land managed by DELP, the Department of Environment, Land, Water and Planning. The move raised questions about the political power of recreational fishers. But in the nearly four years since the election promise, that number has been revised down through an assessment process. 23 are currently open. Farmers have been fighting the law since day one. Crown land lease is for cultivation of foodstuffs for your animals. Uh, in some spots, we've cultivated up to within 10, less than 10 metres to the river. We've had a couple of goes at cultivating this whole area here over the years. We haven't been successful, but uh, we'll probably have another go it's, you know, over the next you know, five years. Brian Meredith is showing me and producer Lara Corrigan around his farm 10 minutes out of Seymour. Brian has a grazing licence for land along the Goulburn River adjoining his farm. We hoist ourselves over a lock gate that reads private property, carefully avoiding the electric fence. The land on either side of this gate looks the same. It's a steep pastured slope with stock trails grooved into its side. 
Angus cattle graze around us. It's rocky underfoot. To our right, gum trees reach out over the river like giant clawed hands. And this is what we're saying. If you look at see the unevenness now for campers, this area is the camping area. This is crown land up to where that tree is. And you can see that when it's raining, you can see the gully where the water flows, right? And then over the back, it goes over there a little bit as well. And you can see how, how would you camp here? And the one that always gets me is, if you're a camper, you're going to want a fire, aren't you? They can't light fires. We come to another electric fence with a brand new pedestrian gate cut into it. Brian installed a stake in front of it to limit the gap through which people can squeeze, ensuring none of his cattle can get out. This is where campers can now enter. Brian is contesting this access, saying the site is unsuitable for camping. The rocky hillside isn't ideal for pitching a tent and the ground is too hard to dig a toilet hole and there isn't really a safe access to the water. If you look along the bank, this is typical of our whole property. Right, so do you think a fisherman really wants to sit right up at this sort of height to fish? The answer is by the time, if you catch a fish, there's a big chance it won't be on your rod by the time you bring it up. So it's like a, a metre and a half. Well, or more, more than that, yeah. Yeah, it's down low at the moment. When we visit Brian, it's just after Anzac Day and we can see evidence of campers. But not right here, not through the small gate and past the sign that forbids campfires and dogs. They had set up just outside the grazing licence lot. We had some people come down, two motorcycles came down, then they came back with six with camping equipment and tents and so forth. But guess what? They didn't come through the gate because they looked at the rules. So they're just camping out there. That's Crown land and it, uh, it's in a situation where the Crown delp and such that should be cleaning up the mess that's been created. Uh, so maybe we're not going to see a lot of people on this place because of the, what it looks like and the hilliness of it and it's not a nice place to camp. So they essentially camped in the car park? Yep. Trees have been hacked at, one's been chopped clean in half and rubbish has been thrown down a wombat hole. A ring of rocks and a pile of ash are evidence of the weekend's campfire. This isn't Brian's property. It isn't the Crown land that he licences. It's just outside the boundaries, but it has him nervous. A loss of a lot of sleep and concerns because what you're looking at, it's, it's also your stock, you know, because if someone defecates around here somewhere and they don't bury it and the stock eat it, well, bingo. You could uh, find yourself losing your biosecurity. You could find yourself, if that meat got mixed in with other meat being exported, as there is a case some years ago, uh, the farmer got caught and he got fined. And he got fined for a container load of meat going to America. While Brian is showing us the mess left behind his fence, two men arrive. They're scoping out the area for camping and fishing. I ask them if they fish around here. Oh, yeah. When you used to be able to get good-sized cod and beautiful-sized trout. Paul O'Brien is a local retiree. You used to get a lot of rainbow trout around here. You know, up, you, you used to be able to go to the Golden Park and sit there and get trout. So you're going to come down here and camp for a few nights? Yep, we are so. Yep. Do you have a, a problem that there's no like facilities down here? I've got my van rigged up for out in the bush, off grid. And I've got a portaloo because I'm old. I'm allowed to have one of those. My mates tell me a shovel's good enough. This spot has a makeshift boat ramp cut into the bank. Brian says it's been there since maybe the 60s. Unlike on the other side, through the small gate, you can drive and park your car here. Paul says he's excited to have found a spot so close to home. He doesn't travel so far these days with his bad knee 
and he assures us he'd never leave a mess. So many campers do the right thing. You know, when we leave a site, it's left how we found it, or in better shape, actually. He's a bit of a perfectionist, you know. Likes to make sure everything's spot on. Well, when you were younger, you could just camp anywhere. Oh, we didn't care. But then again, 90% of the, uh, if we camped on the river, of the people who farm, we knew them. Or they knew Dad, or Mum, or... Paul didn't know about the new campsite just over Brian's electric fence. He says he likes the look of it, though. That spot right there would be perfect to put up a tent. Can you see where it's just a little bit flat? Where the sun's shining? Yeah. Oh. You know, that's... So that makes you happy that that's available now? Well, it does. I'm not going to tell too many people. <laughs> Despite what Paul says, Brian doesn't think it's a good place for camping. He's worried about the biosecurity of his farm, opportunistic thieves near his property and about who is held liable if someone gets hurt here. A condition of grazing licences is insurance. However, it's unclear if recreational activities would be covered. Now, we're talking with, with the insurers and they're, they're, my insurers are frightened. They're not quite sure how to handle this at the moment. They're considering it now. Uh, and so it'll be a, an interesting outcome to see whether we can get some sort of assistance by the government because they've got signs that say it's your responsibility as a camper, but, gee, that doesn't work, does it, in life? You know, people jump into rivers when they're drunk, right, and become a paraplegic, so who do they sue? The councillor didn't put up the sign saying, be careful if you dive in the river, and they win. If it gets to that point, the farmer is going to be the one financially hurt. Delp says all potential campsites are subject to a thorough and consistent assessment process to ensure important cultural, environmental, public safety and other regulatory matters are considered at each site. Brian looks after the Crown land here, making it ideal for his cattle. He clears weeds, kills pests, removes dangerous tree branches, and it's this work that makes the land attractive to fishers floating by on a tinny. Brian says he feels he's being punished for his hard work. No, it's not fair, but you look at the idea that, the, for me, the majority of farmers that I know are environmentalists in their own way. And see, most of us, like the riverbanks here, were covered in blackberries and things like that. Well, we've, we've spent thousands and thousands of dollars killing the blackberries and uh, killing other things that need to be killed, and we regularly go all the time and do it. And we've been doing that for 17 years. There needs to be designated campsites with toilets, fire pits, with wood supply, garbage bins frequently empty, proper access roads, and all within mobile coverage. This is a place for campers, not grazing licensed land. My name's Belinda Pierce and I'm a beef farmer from the Kiwa Valley. My name's Judy Cardwell, I'm also a beef farmer but from the Mitter Valley, a member of our local land care group and Belinda and I were the ones who led the protest march to Melbourne last year. We meet Judy and Belinda at a reserve in Kigunya, shouldered by the Kiwa River. It's 20 minutes from Albury. The government sent round a notice to all licence holders saying that there had been a law passed in Victoria to 
enable camping on frontages. There was absolutely no consultation whatsoever with any stakeholders, farmers, shires, CFA, police. Everyone was up in arms in our valley, which is the Mitter Valley. And so we, through our land care group, called a public meeting and we had over a hundred people in the middle of the day, which is unheard of. So, you know, that was an indication of how irate everyone was just to be given this notice. After receiving that notice, the licence holders had six weeks to make submissions. Belinda, Judy, Brian and many others are angry that they weren't consulted before the decision. And some of these grazing licences have been held for many, many generations. It's just been really offensive how this whole thing has unrolled. It's up to each landholder how they manage that land, but I really do wonder whether this is really about a backdoor way of forcing people or, you know, making it so difficult that they'll just hand in their grazing licence. They say they're not against fishing, which has been allowed on these sites already, but say camping attracts a different group of people. Belinda says farmers are giving up their grazing licences over the issue and that this will be detrimental for the stretches of river they manage. The fishing lobby makes a big deal about that the, that the licences are not that expensive. Oh, they're getting it for next to nothing. Mm. But there's also the responsibilities that come with that. So you revoke those licences, you then don't have anybody looking after that land. And if the public land... Uh, that is managed by Parks Victoria and Delp is anything to go by, they can't keep up with the pests and weeds, you know. Where are the rabbits coming from? The public land. Where, Where is the, the deer, deer coming from? from? The public, the public land. land. So they are incredibly under-resourced to manage what they've already got. I think in the case of opening up the Crown Frontages, agriculture's been totally forgotten. That this was a commitment that was fought for by people largely in Melbourne, rec the recreational fishing lobby, and all power to them. They've been very effective of getting what they want from the government, and there's obviously a lot of votes in Melbourne for, for recreational fishers. That's Charles Everest. He's the head of policy at the Victorian Farmers Federation, the VFF. What has been really hurtful in all of this is that farmers and the agricultural industry, an industry that pours millions of dollars into this state that provides over 80,000 jobs that is the lifeblood of our regional communities. I mean we would not have regional communities without farming, we know that. It feels like farmers have been forgotten and disrespected and devalued for the work that they do. It saves the government a lot of money in being able to manage public land. Delp says it received over 1,200 submissions and considered them all in refining the regulations. Regulations were introduced to appease some of the concerns from farmers. A lot of the sites are walk-in only, campfires are restricted, no dogs are allowed and there are strict rules on how and where to get rid of waste. There are signs warning of the dangers of river frontages and of roaming stock. The VFF are also pushing for a registration system. If farmers are being forced to be the, the police of this land, how do they know who's coming in and on into the land? How do they possibly go up to someone who might have brought guns? How do they deal with people who are aggravated? That's the role of the police, that's the role of the public land managers. And we suggested a registration system, particularly also 
given the biosecurity risks for farmers as well and the traceability standards that are now in place for livestock. At least if we know who is coming in and on, the, on and off the land, we're able to report that, record that as part of the traceability standards uh, that are in place for farmers. And we know just having gone through COVID how easy it is to have a, a QR code and scan in. Brian from back in Seymour is concerned that the responsibility for policing campers will come down to the farmer. We need to be able to identify the people if they're coming on and give them permission, not saying you can't have it, but not just have an open slather, because then you can't control it. Because it'd be good if the government could, but do you think they've got enough staff to actually overcome any problems over 18,000 kilometres? No. And will the police, do they have enough time? No. So who's it left to? The farmer. Is he getting paid for it? No. Has he got to clean the mess up? Yes. Or else he loses his biosecurity. Delp says it is considering a permit system and is currently looking at registration options for campers. But the true goal of the VFF is to have the camping policy overturned completely. This is what Belinda and Judy want. I don't think there's a safe way that people can camp with cows. If a cow gets spooked, we had a deer on our property on the river flats and... Our cows are not used to seeing a deer, and that's a little bit unusual. And they just get spooked and they run. Like, they don't look where they're going. If you're in a tent and you've got cows, I, I don't want to be responsible for people being injured or hurt. We would remove the cows because they would be putting people at risk. It's as simple as that. And then what's the point of having a grazing licence if you can't put your cows in there? So it's a bit of a catch-22, but I can't see how it could work. I can't. I think, uh, uh, no. And, and there are so many other options. river frontage options to be developed. Why would they want to put a farmer's livelihood at risk and their own lives at risk, basically? And actually, camping with cows isn't much fun. I don't know if you've ever tried it, but they come along and they would chew the guy ropes on the tent. They would probably trample on your campfire. I mean, they would make it a nightmare. Belinda gestures around us. The Crown Land Reserve we're on was historically used for travelling livestock. Now it's public land. It's a riverside campground with good water and vehicle access, as well as a toilet. You can have fires here. There are three caravans set out there while we talk. Belinda says the government should be making places like this more attractive and better service rather than have people camp with cattle. There's probably another 10 acres that is attached to this that is not being utilised at all. To our left, there would be at least five acres over there on the river and then across the road there is possibly up to 10 acres there as well that could be utilised. And apparently there's 1,500 reserves across so it's there's 17,000 kilometers of waterways across Victoria now I'm sure there would have to be plenty of places where it could be extended in a safe and responsible manner let's have camping but let's do it safely and responsibly and where it doesn't put livelihoods at risk and where it has proper infrastructure like camp pits, that sort of stuff. Charles accuses the government of rushing the policy through ahead of November's state election. He says a lot of pain could have been avoided if there had have been a proper consultation process, that it shouldn't have taken a protest in Melbourne to get farmers heard. 
But no, the government's trying to trying to get you know a, fr a free go here for everyone, and inevitably it's actually going to cost the government more because at the moment they're now having to conduct all these assessments. They're having to bring staff on to come out and do those assessments. So this is now starting to cost the government money. Where I think they originally thought as an election commitment this was a freebie. Well, it certainly isn't. It's having a huge cost on government and on farming businesses. An EY report into wreck fishing in Victoria found there are over one million fishers in the state, that's adults and kids. The hobby generates $7.5 billion, with half of fishing trips happening regionally, so it's big business in the state. But for Ben Scullin, there's something more fundamental at play here. At the end of the day, who owns the land? And that's like complaining about people driving along the main road in front of your property. It's just, it's just a bit rich. I understand the value of livestock and that, you know, you have your prize bull here. It's a cop-out from certain landowners who, you know, don't want to see the urban poor recreating on their estate. You know, that's just outrageous. This is public land, regardless or not. It's not private land. It's licensed for an absolute pittance compared to what the market rent would really be. So I think, you know... It's a bit each way, you know, a bit of give and a bit of take. Back at Ben's camp, he dismisses the arguments farmers are making. He says fishers and other campers aren't out to destroy the joint and that there are already processes in place to stop the bad eggs. That's part of life, isn't it? There's irresponsible people everywhere, so... No-one's forcing the farmers to take up a licence. They don't have to take it. Fence your land off, don't take it and let the state manage it. That's their problem. So ultimately, you know, you can take a bit of a selfish view. Ultimately, it's me using the land it's not the idiots you want me using it because i'll you know you'll find that people police themselves anyway it gets my goat a little bit those throwaway you know why you shouldn't you know if you if you focus on that we shouldn't be doing anything don't leave the house and it's not what we do and um you know there are duffers and that's what the regulations are for and that's why Parks, Vic, Delp, Fisheries, they enforce all that. Vic Police. He concedes the public liability issue is tricky, but that the Crown land managers and the farmers will be able to work it out. Look, it's like saying, you know, Greg has a permit from council to run pump classes in the public park. Should he have insurance? Well, yeah, he should. So the hullabaloo about insurance was a bit of a red herring ultimately whether farmers can get insurance for land that's managed by someone else that needed a lot of attention and i think that was the one that that we said yeah well that needs to be sorted out properly i think ultimately the crown's responsibility for this land then with their insurance that's what the farmers really wanted anyway. That's the win. So having public access gives you that cover. Delp says campers will hold the same duty as licence holders to not cause harm to a personal property. If an incident occurs, it will be subject to standard legal processes. The farmers we spoke to, they often had private arrangements with individual farmers which allow them to camp on the farm. Farmers are often fishers themselves. Ben says he's frustrated by the hostility over this issue when farmers and fishers had lived in harmony for decades. He says that the camping policy had so far failed, 
that access had in fact reduced, accusing farmers of illegally blocking off public land. So you want to know what we're asking for at the next election? Fix that. We've got a, you know, an ask that is looking at, well, you know, we've got some collateral damage here that we're seeing much more access being restricted illegally than benefits gained from six camping sites. Well, we want that fixed. You know, that's just really unfair. How do you fix that? Well, you just revoke the grazing licences. That's how you do it. I mean, that's the only way. I mean, there's a number of remedies right through to the government legislating, but ultimately it's about working with the landowner to say, hey, you know, that part of your licence that says you must maintain, you can't put a sign up. And, but ultimately it'll be, a, you know, an enforcement issue. Because some of it's like, you know, they're cutting down access signs that fisheries are putting up and, yeah, it's really weird. Just some strange... Some landowners believe this is their land. VR Fish had received 300 complaints from fishers about access being blocked. The conditions of grazing licences specify that public access has to be allowed. Belinda refutes that farmers are hogging land. There is this idea that, Jealousy, that farmers are just being exclusive, that yeah. they don't want to let people in, that they're just being cantankerous, you know, and there are some pretty crusty farmers around, I've got to admit. But it's, it, it is often well-placed, their concerns from past experiences, and you only need a handful of people to do the wrong thing, and it, it really does put you off. Belinda says public land doesn't mean it's free for all. And this mantra that, the, that, that goes around, it's public land, it should be uh, available for public use. Cemeteries are public land. Botanic gardens are public land. Parks and gardens are public land. Would we camp there? No, because it's not fit for purpose. Just because it's public land doesn't mean that it's suitable for camping. So this whole idea, oh, it's public land, I think it doesn't really hold up. It needs to be fit for purpose. This isn't an environmental issue. If it were, there'd be no cattle allowed here either. And there are much more environmentally important places where people can camp with less regulation. You can have a campfire in national parks, for example. Farmers say they're the best place to look after the land, that they care for it. But Ben points out the investments VR Fish makes in restoring the health of rivers and waterways through Ausfish. He even suggests that fishing clubs could take up the licences on river frontages if farmers gave them up. We're going to put our money where our mouth is, if you like. If we're saying, yes, we recognise that, you know, rehabilitating environments along riverbanks and in stream is the most important. You know, wreck fishers don't get much credit for this sort of thinking. But we've now got the programs to deliver it, like Ausfish Unlimited and... So we're really, you know, there is that ability for, you know, an adopt-a-highway style, you know, we've got 138 clubs sitting there where Clean Up Australia Day is their only option to take their kids to an environmental event. Well, you know, and planting shelter belts and having cups of tea on each other's farms not going to do it. So someone's got to do it. The Waring, the Goulburn River, uh, is kind of the, the major river on Tunnerong Country and it's the lifeblood of Tunnerong Country. It's all of our clans 
their, their association with different clan estates are kind of different aspects or catchments form the, the greater Goulburn catchment. It's central to Tunnerong country. I meet Matt at the Tunnerong Land and Water Council's office in Broadford. The council represents the traditional owners of the Goulburn catchment. My name's Matt Shanks. I'm a proud Nira Ilumbaluk man of the Tunnerong Nation. I work for my mob at Tunnerong Land and Waters Council as a director of the cultural land management team. When talking about land management, it only made sense to speak to the people who've been stewards for thousands of years. It's kind of endless, you know, <laughs> the values of rivers and, and but not it's not just the rivers, it's it's the floodplains as well and you know, the floods would be would be huge and, and that would provide rich soils and, and all those sorts of things for hunting game and for growing different food and medicinals etc and, and it's those kind of nutrient rich floodplains that that are now predominantly under you know grazing or, or cropping kind of land uses those values that the Tunnerong had and, and have and see in in and around rivers kind of have been translated into those same values that are being activated and, and utilized now Several First Nations peoples along Victorian rivers are involved in the assessment of the river frontages before they could be opened up for camping. Matt says the Tunnerong clans had helped to expedite the assessment process. There was a bit of pressure placed on Tunnerong just due to the high kind of value of waterways on Tunnerong country for recreational use. So, you know, we had to perform a lot of assessments kind of relatively quickly relative to, to some of the other rivers in the state. And I think we've absolutely stepped up and, and met those kind of obligations. Matt supports greater access to country for everyone. All people on, on Tunnerong country should be engaging with country more. How we make that happen, you know, is, is a tricky one. But ultimately, we're all reliant on country and for what it provides for us, food, water, recreation, and we need to sort of be more connected to that. Society is disconnected from that. That disconnect, I think, can sometimes skew people's perception of, of the importance of, of healthy landscapes and country, etc. So we're supportive of more people having access, but we're, you know, and traditional owners will be the first group to say that we don't want anybody harmed or pushed out for that you know we've experienced that and you know we don't wish that on anybody we, we don't want to see anybody's rights or anything else impeded that's not the way to go. Producer Lara and I visited three of the sites on the Goulburn River one was Brian's steep and rocky field another was overgrown with blackberries and grasses up to your shoulder it had no open space for tents and the bank was a six metre drop the third, where Ben was set up, was 500 metres from the Seymour Township, from shops and toilets. It had plenty of room and good access to the water. I'd camp there. The next state election is in November, and the government wants to fulfil its 2018 promise for more campsites. But they're running out of time. Belinda says it's a political power imbalance that they just can't win. There are one million fishers and just 10,000 farmers. I think we need to keep a very close eye on it and document any breaches. I've heard that there's been stuff stolen out of sheds already and it's only, what, two weeks into it. And also we need to get in a commitment from the National and the Liberal parties coming up to the state election on what their policy is in relation to the camping. So as a next step, um, we also need to get some clarity from our insurance because I know Farmers are ringing up their insurance providers in droves. Delp says the policy will be reviewed after 12 months. 
Matt is looking out to see how things go for the first few campsites that have been opened up. This is all the unknown. Like, we don't know what's going to happen. So people, humans, tend to think worst case. And so, you know, how do you solve these things? You know, you do tests and pilots, you involve the community in decision-making and you engage better and, you know, you have you, you come and make these decisions collaboratively. Ben wants more sites with less regulations, but he'll take what he can get. So... The rollout, you know, that's for the Crown land manager as they've decided. You know, we we probably would always say there's a better way, you know, to land on six sites after a thousand have been assessed. You know, you can't have a campfire here. You can't drive in. There's room for improvement, but we're, you know, how could you be not happy with this, being able to come and camp here. this episode of Voice of Real Australia. Thanks for listening. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. If you like the podcast, please tell your friends and give us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. It helps other people find us. If you'd like to share your story, email voice at ostcommunitymedia.com.au. That's voice at ost, A-U-S-T, communitymedia.com.au. Follow us on Instagram at Voice of Real Australia to see photos from our stories. Voice of Real Australia comes to you from Seymour this week, Tunnerong Country. This podcast was produced by me, Lara Corrigan, and Tom Melville. Reporting by Annabelle Cleland of The Stock and Land. Special thanks this week go to Jolie Mitchell and Mark Jessa. Our editor is Emily Sweet. This is an ACM podcast. <laughs>